Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. My name is Melanie C., and I am your moderator this morning. Today is Sunday, May 24, 2015, and the share ID for Friday, May 22, 2015, is 7659. 7659. This morning at A Vision for You, we present a personal story of transformation. The promise of recovery from addiction through the 12 steps is a process that is indeed the most valuable story to be told because from addiction, hopelessness, despair, uselessness to a life worth living happy, joyous, and free where there once was no life begs to be shouted from the rooftops. If I can, you can. It is so attractive a message that it seems to be bring ridiculously powerful hope to everyone that hears. Today, our guest speaker will roll out her transformed life with what we may very well account as a bounty with words of experience, strength, and hope, a true story of transformation, a version of rags to riches. This morning, our guest speaker, Deb W., is very active here at A Vision for You. Some of you may have already heard her strong, insightful shares during the weekday at our Big Book study meetings. Today, she has accepted an invitation to dive deeper for all of us. Thank you so much. Please join me in welcoming Deb W. to the line. Good morning, Deb W. So glad that you are here. Good morning, Melanie. And I'm I'm just so uh, thankful for being here also. And I have, you know, made some notes. I really don't like to read notes, but I thought it would help with my storyline. And But I know that you guys love me. I've said my prayers, and I'm just going to try to go into when When Leah asked me to speak, I thought, well, what am I smart about? Nothing. <laughs> so I thought, you know, I do know my experience, strength, and hope. So, you know, if you guys will be patient with me, I'll I'll go through that for you. Uh, I'm Deb W. I live in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I'm a recovered compulsive eater. Um, I came into the program in 1988, and probably less than six months later, I became abstinent. I was abstinent for 17 years, and then I went into a relapse. And so then I found out about Vision for You when I tried to get back uh, into the program and into the get uh, out of the food and um you know i uh, i i'll go from there I, so let me get started i uh grew up one of five kids my father was an alcoholic and my mother was a rage and anger person and you know, I uh, my brother, I had an older brother, and uh, what I know about my brother growing up was that he was not responsible, and so since I was the next to the oldest and the only girl, I knew that I could be responsible. I could get my parents' approval by being the responsible one, and so that's that's what I did. What my family looked like coming from an alcoholic and anger situation is my brother. I had one brother who uh, was in prison since he was 16, and now he's uh, 50, and he's still in prison, and he's in his 50s. And my big brother that wasn't, wasn't able to be responsible is an addict, has been since his teens. Uh, I have a brother that... 
you know, took about $60,000 from my little Alzheimer mother, uh, you know, like in 2009. And another brother who's an alcoholic, and guess what? Here I am, a compulsive eater. So, you know, we all had, we survived the years of uh, our childhood, and there were a lot of good things that happened. But, you know, I'm kind of focusing on the things that I think affected me that, caused me to uh, turn to a coping uh, behavior of compulsive eaters. So we survived the the living the way we did. Uh, Even though my dad was an alcoholic, he was very protective. Uh, We we came up in a very protective situation. It was just a dysfunctional uh, situation. Uh, we grew up with the, I grew up with a feeling of chaos all the time. Uh, I remember just being shocked one time when I was a member of uh, Campfire Girls, and we would go to a, a lady's house, uh, and, you know, their family always, they, there wasn't any confusion. There wasn't any anger, any hurt, any, you know, tenseness in the air. I just enjoyed going there. What I knew was so much was going on. Um, don't take your problems to mom and dad. Uh, go somewhere and deal with them yourself. My kids, when I, they were growing up, they used to tell me things that I really, it was really more than I wanted to share. But thank God, I think they were able to come to me with, with a lot of stuff, but that didn't happen in my uh, childhood growing up. My mother was angry. Um, I seemed to be the focus, the brunt of her anger. I was physically abused from like fourth grade, probably through somewhere up in middle school, maybe the first of high school. I, you know, back then uh, parents used switches. My mother used branches to for whippings and extension cords. And I remember being whipped and. Uh, bloody and going to school and embarrassed, feelings of shame, feelings of guilt. Today, my little mother would have been put in prison for those things. But, you know, I I happen to know there was a lot going on. And, you know, one thing when I feel the emotion, it lets me know that every age of Debbie is still in me. You know, even though I've healed from a lot of that stuff, I can go back and tap into my little girl at any age uh, and feel the emotions. So it's all still there, even though I'm on the other side of it today. Um, My dad was a happy alcoholic. I I loved my dad. When he wasn't there in the house, I missed him. Uh, Funny thing is, he wound up being the co-owner of a liquor store. Can you believe it? And so, you know, he was gone out of the house a lot. You know, my mother was a prude. My mother was a beautiful, beautiful woman. She loved my dad from high school. They were high school sweethearts. And he was the one and only for her. And yet, you know, she had this idea, this dream about how her family was going to be. And, of course, she was disappointed, you know. But that was her one and only person that I knew about uh, her whole life, you know, yeah, uh, growing up for a sweetheart and a husband. Um, my mother came up in the age that you, you keep your secrets. You know, my family kept secrets. My brother was in prison all those years, and my mother had – uh, friends in the neighborhood, and 
they didn't even know about it. You know, she went through so much. Uh, my, I had another brother who was raped by a neighbor. Um, I didn't even know about it until I was an adult that that, that was going on. So we, we, we kept secrets. This brother turned around and raped another one, a person. Uh, he, he was put in prison. Like I said, he's been in prison most of his life, all of his life, actually, uh, from the age of about 17. Um, but, you know, it's funny how it makes me think about all my brothers, even my mother, my heart remembers them as we were growing up. It's really hard to think of them as adults and how they really are. Uh, as people today, because, you know, all I can remember is what they were like then, you know. And um, so I can think of maybe a handful of times when I saw my mom and my dad kiss and hug and uh, uh, affection shown between them, that most of the time they didn't speak to each other. Um, You know, uh, my mom was cold toward my dad and you know, and, you know, I love my dad, and so I had to be there for him growing up as a kid and a young woman. I listened to his problems. I understood. I was compassionate with him. I knew when my dad would be at home, he seemed to be in a sleep a lot, and I, it was really hard for me to wake him up. But today I know that he was in a drunken stupor. And uh, I always say what I learned, how I learned to love men started with loving an alcoholic, you know. Uh, what I knew about God, um, at that time, my mom, you know, sent us to church. Today, I don't think they do that anymore. My mom got us dressed on Sunday mornings, and we went to church. And, you know, I never had a feeling that I fit in that social, that church environment. Um, I always wanted to. Uh, to God, but I never felt like I was good enough. I felt like I was chasing God and just a lot of guilt because I would always do bad and it seems like I I just wasn't good enough. I remember in my when I was about 17 or 18 a, a little a guy came through town and he um he was a handsome little guy and you know, I was single. Why not? I wanted a relationship with him. And he, he said something about he was on his way to uh, some kind of deep relation with God, on his way through town to some kind of, you know, whatever he was going to to make a deeper uh, commitment. And he was conflicted because he really liked me. He would kiss me. He would hug me and all of that. But he wrestled because he said, I wasn't ready, you know. He couldn't be with me because I wasn't what he needed in his life at that time. And what that told me is for some reason I wasn't good enough for God. For some reason a person who knew God could see in me that I wasn't good enough and I felt like something was wrong with me. I left home uh, and went to live with my aunt about that about seven, eighteen, nineteen, and uh, I left my mom, uh, four young brothers, and and the alcoholic. My dad had already left the house, and I felt so much guilt. I just come out of high school, and uh, there weren't jobs in the town that I lived in, Kansas. And you know, I remember trying to. I was working at a bank. They had a program. Uh, and uh, I was black. I'm black. I wasn't black. I am black now. And there was a program for the uh, 
low income and for the minority uh, to get jobs when we came out of high school. And I got a job in a bank. And uh, we at that time we were, it was uh, I did uh, I was a check filer. And at that time they checked signatures. Uh, you know, a person actually sat there and checked the signatures that uh, to try to stop the forged checks. And and I worked alongside the president's daughter. <laughs> and I remember I was so good at that job. I, I and you know I wound up I missed one. And this this little girl she missed a lot of the you know signatures and frauds. But I got fired because. You know, like I said, I worked beside the president's daughter, so I lost my job. I remember my first encounter with sex was when I was about 16, 17, and I had a boyfriend at the time, and he he was going to the Army, and he had needs, and I was young. I was very naive. Even though I was in an alcoholic home, I knew nothing about that. And so, you know, I had to have sex for him because, you know, he would die if I didn't have sex with him, but I knew nothing about it. Um, I had two kids before I was married. I had a love child, and the second one I was raped with. And, you know, I uh, tell you a story about the rape. Um, I had had this love child. I had a job. I took care of my child. And, you know, after back then when you got pregnant uh, with a baby, it was it was not a good thing. Today they don't think twice about it, but, you know, you, it was shame, and I was ashamed, but I took care of my baby. I thought I was in love, but thank God I was smart enough to know the alcoholic that I met and fell in love with was not available to be, to start a family, so I took care of my kid, and right after I got, you know, maybe she was about nine months old, and I was feeling better about myself. I was holding down a job. I ran into a guy that uh, I knew of him. I didn't know him, uh, but he seemed like a nice guy, and he paid me attention. Here I am, a girl who's had a baby, and so, you know, I thought about, wow, I think I'd like to, you know, to, to get to know him better. And, you know, one uh, night, we there, you know, in, in that town, there were little towns surrounding, and they would have parties. And I uh, saw him at a party after I kind of, you know, he tried to talk to me, and he gave me a kiss, and it felt so good. And I came home later that night, you know, we weren't together, and I got a knock at my door. I lived alone with my baby, and and there he was. He was there, and I opened the door, and he came in, and he came in to rape me, and he didn't say hello. He didn't have a word to say, and he raped me, and he got up and he left. And what I knew when I, you know, when he left was that I was pregnant. And I remember a, a voice telling me, and I, I also remembered an old idea uh, that told me this baby was innocent and I was going to have this child. And and so I was probably about 19 when I, I did that. I felt guilty. I felt at that time, uh, I remember my aunt telling me, do not file charges because back then the woman was shamed. A, a girl had filed char charges not long before this happened to me, and she was, you know, shamed, and it was in the paper, and they didn't have rape crises back then, and, you know, there was no support. And so 
there I was with two children, and I, I, you know, embarrassed. I remember my job, or my job, my boss, he was understanding about the first child, but the second child, he really him telling me, don't you know how that happens? And so when I told him what happened, he, he was understanding. Um, I, I did forget before this story ends that I had an abortion. After the rape, I, I became promiscuous. I don't know. I've heard that happens a lot of the times. Uh, I was looking for love in all the wrong places, and 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 so actually that that's the story with the sexual relations. But um, I remember uh, after having these two children and working to take care of them, I met a guy, and we started out as friends. He worked at my job, and you know he uh, was coming out of a, a marriage. He was divorced, and he showed me attention and with my two kids and he was good and kind to the kids. And, you know, I, um, I liked the attention. Um, uh, I was falling deep and it seemed like he was falling for me. And, you know, what I know about sex is I didn't know anything. And I remember, uh, when we would be together that he, uh, I was too uh, embarrassed to touch him and he would, you know, he would touch me. He would do what he did to my body, and that's the history I had. I knew nothing about it, and men did what they did to my body. And so one time he sarcastically said when I was laying there, "What? don't you want anything? Do I have to do this work all by myself? And I was so embarrassed and so ashamed. And so, you know, you know, I uh, – one day after, you know, we had been together, gosh, I think that relationship lasted about eight months, i come to his house because I loved him. I cared. I was ready. And I heard him inside with another woman. And so, you know, I was devastated and I left. And, you know, at that time, my relationship with God had been hot and cold. And uh, throughout all this time, I knew God. But I only used God when I when I needed to. And I being broken and heartbroken by that, I started going to church regularly. I took my two kids to church. And, you know, I had a pastor who was a great guy. He told me, if you want this guy, you come closer to God, and he'll either come with you or he will pull away from you. And guess what? I lost him. And, you know, I worked hard with my two kids after that. I felt like damaged goods. And, but I started going out again, uh, going out to clubs. And I remembered going out, witnessing for God. You know, I knew God and I wanted others to know God. And what in the world was I thinking? I found myself liking the attention from men. I didn't want to get involved with them. I really wasn't interested in taking it anywhere. But I like to dress up and I like to play a role that, you know, I was attracted. Men found me attractive. I don't know if you remember the short shorts. I had some great legs. I had a great body. But, you know, once they got to know me, they got to know that needy and that broken Debbie and no self-esteem. And, you know, I moved from the town of Stillwater to Tulsa after the abortion that I spoke of. And, you know, um, I... Uh, uh, let's see. I, uh, you know, I uh, then met a man who wanted to marry me and my kids. That's my husband today. And, you know, I was happy. I was excited. And But one thing I didn't really know is God answers prayers, but I don't, he doesn't place 
me who was in that emotional condition I was at that time with anyone who's probably much more uh, than what I was emotionally broken. And so why would he do that to a healthy individual? So I met my husband, and the first few years were great, and then anger and rage came again. I attracted my mother. I had a husband who was angry and rageful, and I began the compulsive eating. I always had the behaviors of compulsive eating. When I was a kid, I remember stealing money from my mom's purses and uh, going to school, stopping by the store on a regular basis, buying candy, and felt like I was I could make it that day if I had my stash of candy. And I remember going back to the refrigerator. And that day, we didn't go to the refrigerator like kids do today and just eat whatever they wanted to eat. We had to have permission. And I would steal food. I remember stealing uh, strawberries and shortcakes, and I would eat so much of the strawberry and shortcake, and then I'd put water in it and sugar to try to bring it back to the level. So I did sneak and uh, sneak food. But anyway, I was miserable in my marriage. I, I was, you know, I found a man who loved me and loved my children. And because of all my relationships with men and not understanding and hurt and shame, I really, I knew I cared about him, but I really didn't understand love. And, you know, I, uh, when I got in the situation, uh, a lot of the times, you know, our lovemaking, our, you know, our sex would be uh, me crying and feeling like, um, you know, uh, a lot of body uh, memories, a lot of depression, a lot of, you know, we'd get into arguments, words would be said and, you know, I would have sex with a man who would call me bitches and and whores, and it was not a good thing. It was not a good thing to my uh, insides. And because of the body mem- memories, I remember I couldn't really deal with even the pleasure. So, you know, all of it was so mixed up and, and such a mess. So needless to say, my life was unmanageable at the time. At that time, I had gained so much weight. I remember only having a couple of dresses that were really decent dresses. And, you know, when you're fat, you don't really want to go shop. And I didn't feel good about myself. I had that old faithful pair of black pants, of course, and a blouse, of course. And I wore it thinking that it made, they made me look slimmer. The weight just crept upon me. I never really, even today probably, the, have a good, you know, sense of my body size, whether I'm light, heavy or whether I'm light. Uh, I remember, I know that I would see glimmers. I'd walk by a window and I, or a shadow, and I used to ask people, who do I look like? Can you point out somebody that's my body size? And, you know, I saw a picture not long ago before I got back into vision after relapse uh, of me, and it just shocked me because I couldn't believe I was that big. You know, I don't remember feeling that big. I knew I was back in the food. I knew I was relapsed, but I just didn't remember feeling that big. Um, I remember at my job, this little smart, cocky supervisor that I had came through uh, my cubicle one day and told me, you know, you really look bad. You know, what's the matter with you? And just total shame and guilt. Uh, I came to OA just miserable, you know. I, I That's when I found OA. I remember, um, you know, thinking, isn't there a group that is just as desperate as the alcoholics 
and I came to mind uh, OA, and maybe it came to mind because I would read Dear Abby or Ann Landers, and they used to carry a yearly article, I believe, that talked about Overeaters Anonymous at the time. I came to Overeaters Anonymous to lose weight. That was the whole point. And uh, and I came to, in my first meeting, I cried the whole meeting. I just felt like I was home. And, I, you know, I came uh, in 88, and like I said, I got absent probably just shortly after. Absent back-to-back for 17 years. I worked the steps, lost the weight. Uh, at the, in 89, there wasn't literature, OA literature, so I got absent with the AA literature. And uh, I actually got absent with the stories in the back and the tools of the program. Uh, I knew we did read the front of the first 164 pages, but I didn't understand it. So just that relationship with the the recovery got me abstinent. Um, I love the kindness and the support of the others. They told me that, you know, if I was a compulsive eater and I said I was a compulsive eater, then I was a compulsive eater. And uh, that I couldn't, there, there was nothing, first time in my life that I ever uh, was ex- felt like I was accepted uh, unconditionally. I remember my first few meetings, I was just, I was an obsessive compulsive person, period, but I obsessed over making the coffee and lining the chairs up. I loved the feeling of the churches. It was just a just a wonderful uh, setting for getting well. I had two great sponsors and in the program, and I wound up being region rep and then wound up being a world service rep and uh, uh, trustee of world service. Um, What was shaky about my program is what my next topic is. After 17 years, I relapsed. Why? Why did I relapse? I really don't know, but I have some ideas of what was going when I look back. So, I really didn't understand the nature of the disease. I didn't understand the first 164 pages of the big book. Like I said, we read it in meetings, and it was discussed maybe two or three paragraphs at at a time by each speaker uh, that uh, read at the meeting, but I didn't understand it. Service work took the place of regular prayer and meditation. Like as a trustee, I was very busy. I, I was working a full-time job. Along with that, my kids were still in, at home. So the attention was taken away from the real focus is that I have a disease, and I needed the recovery, and I needed to, to keep the everyday things going in order to assure. I had a sponsor I adored and who also suffered a lot of losses, a sponsor I had for like, 10 uh, to 12 years, but she really wasn't high on service work. And so, you know, she really, uh, you know, kind of stuck her nose up to uh, all the work that I was doing. And after going through her own personal stuff, um, she started, um, you know, not being very happy with me because I was giving so much time to that, uh, this OA service work. I um, remember um, she she stopped quitting me. She fired me, and I couldn't understand why. Uh, it just really, even though I was in a trustee, I was really pretty devastated from that. And, you know, when you've worked with a person so long, at that time, that's what we were doing. It wasn't like 
we practice today, uh, not growing stagnant with a sponsee. But, um, you know, I, I really was defeated pretty much by that. Um, but, you know, even though people told me it was probably more about her than about me, it really was pretty uh, devastating. I think that my dependency on God rather than an individual uh, I was fortunate to know back then and always in the back of my mind knew that uh, I wanted this recovery. You know, I wasn't looking to somebody else uh, for this recovery. Even when I went into relapse, there was something deep inside that I would be back. I will come back, you know. Um, But, you know, I uh, think that I got to depend on that sponsor. And when she dropped me, like I said, I was I was pretty devastated. And, and, and I didn't understand. She never really told me why. And there was such a, you know, an, a need to know. Another reason is I hadn't finished the steps. I don't believe. I, I went through, I remember step five and six and seven and a few of the amends that I made. But after that, it became fuzzy. I, I really don't think I understood it. 10, 11, and 12, and I, I believe I rested on my laurels. Uh, I didn't, wasn't clear about how they worked. OA literature gave me, uh, you know, information, but I got a lot of other people's formats, but I just didn't understand. And and another thing, I, on first 12, I focused on the same one or two people that uh, I uh, worked with, and so... Because I didn't understand the allergy of the body and the mental twist, the obsession of the mind, I thought uh, having the ability to uh, switch out sugar foods, especially, you know, around the rooms as we abstain from refined sugar. And I did. I abstained from refined sugar. But I promise you some of the substitutes I got, I didn't know at the time, held as much sugar as the refined sugar. And so, you know, I got all off into sugar-free and fruit-sweetened, and it worked for a while, but after a while, you know, it just, you know, went kerpluck, you know. Um, I thought that the success of the program had to do with the pounds that I kept out and the dress size that I kept. That's what I based that on because a lot of the members based that on when they saw me. They saw me. They thought I had it together. I was thin. So they wanted what I had, which was all wrong. My mind was still sick. I was restless, irritable, and discontent most of the time. I thought it was just part of being out of the food. I thought that was just going to be a part of the whole thing, that I'm abstinent, but my mind is going to be crazy. Uh, I missed the need to keep seeking and understanding and growing in the spiritual realm of life. You know, I had a spiritual malady. Um, The human uh, efforts couldn't fix it, and I just didn't get it. you know, uh, the things I was doing wasn't working, and then my heart was sick, and, you know, my defects started flaring, and I was just crazy. Um, you know, I, um, let's see, I, so I reached out for something outside to fix my inside, spending, men, food, alcohol, vanity, anything but God, anything but spirit is what I did. So what happened as a result of that tragedy struck? I was on a region service uh, work retreat and got a call that my baby boy, my baby boy that we protected and homeschooled, uh, who was, you know, probably 18 at the time, got involved with 
a uh, a, a three time loser. And he, for some reason, I thought it was okay. My cousins worked at the jail system, and they wanted to get him a job there. And I mean, he was as skinny as a spaghetti and as green as he could be. And he always wanted a friend, you know. And so one day, one of the things they tell you never, never do is to get involved with the prisoners after they get out. And, well, what did he do? He got involved with the prisoner and wound up uh, robbing uh, an older lady and, uh, you know, uh, I don't know the whole story. I wasn't there. I, I know what I wanted to believe, but I just couldn't. That was more than I could handle. I, you know, I I remember I went into a relapse after that. Um, I uh, was so miserable. I, I started isolating. I was so angry, hurt, and I was afraid. I had panic attacks on my way to, to trustee meetings. And, you know, I knew that my food was a mess. I knew that I was gaining weight. I was on the board and, you know, at the meetings. And, you know, I remember hearing uh, during the times that I was doing my service that people talk talk about people who were do, who did service work, who weren't abstinent, who, you know, their body size showed that they were stealing the food. They didn't have a normal body weight. I was afraid. But nobody said anything to me. I was isolating uh, in at the meetings. I had a hotel room by myself, and I was so miserable, and I was waiting to be found out, but nobody said anything to me. I struggled because I was responsible. You know, I, I remember I was determined when I was appointing as, as trustee to be at the best darn trustee in the world. Remember, I was responsible. I was reliable. And finally, uh you know, it was it just got to be too much. I couldn't handle it. And I remember one day before I was to go to a world service activity, I was journaling, and it occurred to me, I believe it was God, that, you know, I resign. Just resign. Just call them. I was so embarrassed. But the idea of coming another meeting with all the guilt and the shame that I felt, I just couldn't bear it anymore. So I called up the chair and I resigned. And, you know, I had relief, but guess what? The guilt then sat in. I was relieved on one end and guilty on the other. I let world service down. I let my region down. I let the local fellowship down. I was angry and I was disappointed in God because I had prayed. My kids would even say that, Mama, we know whatever we do, don't get involved in the law. But evidently I had put out that, you know, I didn't want what happened to my brother to happen to my children. I, I put that out to God. And guess what? He disappointed me. My son was involved in the legal system. I don't know if you've ever been involved in the legal system. It's not a, it's not a, it isn't a respecter of persons, and people are not very nice. And you know, you're at the the mercy of of, uh, of the system. And they, they didn't care that my son never got in trouble a day in his life. You know, but you know, he wound up serving time and he survived. But I couldn't get healed from it. He was out, and I still was crying over this. I don't know why I had such a struggle. I didn't want to go to OA meeting anymore. I didn't want to hear anything about recovery. I was angry. And when I would go to some meetings, I was so angry that I would get up and leave. I don't know why years earlier when my daughter was in a car wreck, 
uh, when on the way to going to college with her her childhood friend, a drunk driver hit him head on, uh, killed the best friend who my daughter had asked to drive our family car 15 minutes before, hit him head on. Uh, I went straight after as soon as I could uh, to a meeting, and I called my sponsor and I stayed connected. I stayed abstinent, and then a couple of years later, when my other daughter had moved to Atlanta and her husband and his best friend got into a fight, and her husband shot and killed his best friend in their living room, and I was called home, and I mean, I was called to come, and and there was blood all in the living room, and all that followed getting her and my six-month-old grandson out of the situation and back home. I called my sponsor immediately. I got meetings. I stayed abstinent. What was the difference? I don't know. I pray today to keep what God has so graciously given me, but I know that I only have abstinence for one day at a time. I remember an old timer used to say, if I keep in fit spiritual condition today and do the things today that keep me out of the food, the likelihood tomorrow that I will remain in you know, uh, out of the food. Uh, what I know today, many different, I, there are many different degrees of misery. You know, I couldn't, I remember I could not get back in the rooms and stay. I remembered I was miserable. I was angry at God. I was pissed off at OA. You know, this is a disease, just like any other disease. It's about coping, using food. And the line that I crossed from, ah, oh, maybe bad habit to the disease, or maybe I'm just predisposed to to uh, being compulsive, and I decided that eating was okay rather than alcohol or drugs. I remember I used to pride myself that I wasn't an alcoholic like my dad because my, my mom hated the alcoholic, but I used to pride myself that I wasn't an alcoholic, but guess what? I'm a compulsive eater. Uh, I found out what food does for me. I, I didn't realize what do, food does to me. I, ga- I uh, gave up everything for food. I would have. I would rather tell you about my sex partners than to tell you about how much food I ate. Food dominated me, and will today unless I surrender. Where this disease is concerned, the binge foods are concerned. This fact will never, ever, ever, ever change for me. I am a real compulsive eater. For the mental idea uh, that one day the fact that I'm a compulsive eater will change, it will never. Untreated, my mind will always take me back to the idea that maybe it's not so bad. I can fix it myself. Or Now, what was the reason I don't eat this or that food? I, I don't... Uh, See, I don't have time today for any of the things that are good for me, like prayer and meditation. I'm busy. I'll I'll get it later. I don't feel like it. You know, the mental twist, the thoughts, you know, the... the, I know God today in a different way, my higher power. I know it's essential that I keep seeking a relationship with spirit. The part of me that I don't understand, that I won't ever fully understand as long as I'm living. I'm human. But I, uh, the part of me that gave me the reprieve, the part of me that stayed with me through the steps. And, you know, it's like surprisingly one day I woke up after asking so many 
days before that I get some relief from this. And that day, I didn't have to eat that way. I was floored just that day. And the only difference is I put one day beside the next day beside the next day. And I keep seeking the spiritual life. You know, um, it has to be a choice. I believe, you know, I have my own magical thinking about it. But just like the big book says, we have to put the food down. You know, you know, I know that it's hard. I know that it seems impossible. But the food does not jump in my mouth. I have to know the binge foods, the foods that I can't eat, the foods that cause me to keep eating them and keep eating them and cause me to separate myself from life and to separate from God. You know, um, those foods, I have to know what they are and I have to leave them alone until the reprieve sets in. The re- we don't have to go through the steps without any reprieve. There is a reprieve that comes. And I, it's shaky getting through the steps with just this reprieve, but guess what? It begins to build. You know, I have so much of the disease in my spirit, in my heart, in my mind, that until I expose myself to the recovery, the disease was bigger talk, you know. As I began to expose myself to the recovery, as I began to work the steps and was open to the steps, then the spiritual that comes from the steps began to grow, and it offset the sickness. This is my magical thinking. This is my thoughts. Today when, you know, or, you know, they're even in recovery, good food, there are times that, you know, I see myself eating that on a regular basis and I'm going, what's up with that? I don't believe God wants me to be prison to anything, a slave to any food, whether it's healthy food or not. I don't believe that. If I get to eating that same thing over and over again, I hear this um, intuition that, that reminds me, that shows me that. You know, I don't have to do that. I have to, as I'm working my steps, I work my steps daily. I, uh, you know, I, I just like to. Somebody on the line, one of the, you know, old timers said they go through the steps every day. And I, it's brief, you know, the first part of it. I have prayers that I say right alongside the the steps uh, as I, you know, I surrender, I turn in I, my defects to God. I can't remove these. These things I cannot remove, just like the food. It takes God. It takes my higher power, whatever your higher power is, to give them. They are spiritual maladies. My defects are spiritual maladies. It takes a spiritual uh, healing, uh, a spiritual solution to get, to remove them. And it is amazing that some of the things I put down that I bring to God and I say, I can't do this. I see this as a problem. Gossip, you know, I'm still working on gossip. But other things that are a problem, I put them on my list and I ask God for help. I look up, I don't, I don't do them. I don't do them. They They are removed. And so, you know, I'm just saying that one thing I want to say for sure that you know that this isn't something that is given to certain people and not available to all. You know, it's it's there. You know, what your walk is, your individual walk is, I don't know. You know, I sponsor people the, pretty much the way that I was sponsored because it worked for me. You know, none, none of the people on Vision for You who are so passionate that talk about this, 
you know, we don't own the, you know, we aren't the special people that God decided to step down and just put a wand over our heads. It's there and available for all of us. And so if we just keep seeking it, if we just keep being open, if we put aside old ideas that set aside prayer, we, we remove anything we thought we knew about God, about ourselves, about others, and we're open to this spirit, it does it to us. It's nothing we can do. If, we, if I get in the way, you know, that's when I'm white knuckling. It happens to me if I continue to work these steps. I think I've gone on long enough. So thank you for letting me share. Oh, thank you so much, Deb W. Appreciate you coming here on the line and sharing your personal story. You're welcome. What hope and promise, absolutely. You just rang through so loud and clear in your message today. You gave so much of yourself today. Thank you. Much, much, much. We appreciate it. Yeah, wow. Would you be willing to field some questions today from our sure. audience this morning? Sure. Oh, thank you. I'm glad sure. you had the time. Fantastic. Well, let's let's go into that phase then of our of our morning this morning. And thanks again so much. Does anyone well. this morning have a question today for Deb W? Please press star one on your phone keypad. That will unmute you to be able to be heard. I do. This is Abby D from Maryland. Hi, Abby. Abby, Abby D like Hi. David. Abby D like boy. Hang on one second, Abby. Thank Let's see you. if there's anyone else behind you. Anyone else have a question this morning for Deb W? Uh, I hear Matt. Mary from New Jersey. I have a question. Did you say Mary? It's Miriam from New Jersey. Miriam. Oh, Miriam. Okay. okay. Hang on, Miriam, please. And anybody Amy else? E. Um, Amy E. Amy E. Got to Amy. And Mary. Mary. Mary from Arizona. Arizona. Okay, great. Anybody else? And Mary Lee from California. And Mary Lee from California. I think I got them. Great. Thank you so much. Abby, how about your question first this morning? Hi. Hi. Great. Thank you, Abby. I really appreciate it. Thanks for disclosing so much. Thanks Thanks for your honesty. I'd like to hear about, as as someone who also has been in in relapse in the past, Mm -hmm. um, starting to work on on a fourth step again, a long fourth step as opposed to tenth step. And I just wanted to hear about your your fourth, well, fourth through nine step process, having been someone who relapsed. Thanks. Okay. Okay. Do I? How do I mute? Do I one again? Yes. Thank you. Um, I, well, okay, how do, how did I work four through nine? I, I had a wonderful sponsor who took me through the steps after I got on the vision line. And, uh, I, I had worked the steps before, however, imperfectly, uh, years ago. And there were actually some things that I didn't think were necessary to bring back from yesterday. But, you know, I found out I was, uh, reacting to life, uh, from some remnants. From yesterday, and so my sponsor, um, you know, there is a format that's outside, uh, you know, uh, outside of the uh, of what we're talking about. Uh, some one person's way of of doing the steps, and I went through the format. Uh, uh, it was it's closely connected to the big book, and that's that's how I did it. Um, um, I resentments. Uh, what is it? Resentments. Uh, uh, 
God, my brain is shut down. But, you know, it's just like the uh, big book says, uh, who harmed me, who did I harm, resentment, the cause, uh, the part I played, something like that. And so, you know, she um, um, listened and uh, she listened to my story. She listened to the different times we talked and, you know, we discussed it together, uh, some things in my life and some things that she felt like were still causing me a problem. And I just ran them through the steps, you know. And I remember um, at uh, different times, I, you know, I, when we got to the amends, there were things uh, like from yesterday that I had to go back, amends to myself, amends to God. I was very upset with God. I was very disappointed that, you know, our experience, was that we went through uh, this innocent, to me, my innocent son, who went through these issues. And so, yeah, I, I don't know if I'm answering that question very well, but that I used the format. Uh, my sponsor worked closely with me, and we, you know, she listened to step five, and, you know, I was ready to get help uh, from God, and, uh, you know, I was ready to turn it over to my creator, and I was ready to make the amends, and that's kind of how I did it. I don't know if that answers your prayer, your uh, your question, Abby. Sure. Thank okay. you. Thank you, Abby, for your question. Matt M., your question, please. Hi, Matt. I'm Matt. Hi. Can you hear me, Melanie? I can. Yes, good morning. I wasn't going to ask a question, but it's something that's really um, on my mind. Uh, yeah, Deb, Deb um, what do you do with feelings when you're not eating? Because I haven't been eating crap. My my feelings are coming up so strong, rage, and I haven't felt something like that in a long time because my, one of my good friend's sons. How do you deal with that without eating over it? Because right now I'm just it's such an overwhelming feeling. Well, Matt, I don't really know where you're at um, uh, in the program if you're recovered or not are you recovered the step nine i mean step eight going into step nine so it's like all these okay. Okay. okay okay well you know what i'm going to tell you when i was at that place yeah i had a lot of feelings too because i wasn't finished you know i think when you get finished you will get ease um today you know i still get feelings i still get upset i i do have the tools of the program you know I uh, work a 10-step, or actually I run through the the full uh, steps, but I work, uh, you know, steps on these emotions. I try to do it regular so they don't build up. Um, I realize that um, uh, the things I can change, the things I cannot change. I admit it to another person. A lot of times when I do the 10-step, like most people say, um, I do it with me and God. When I have something that I can't seem to shake, then I call another individual. Um, you know, I really believe when I work with God, and it says, uh, admit to God and uh, another, myself and another person, I wonder if it doesn't say that in that order because when I admit it to God, when I work and I, I pray and I'm talking to God, it nurtures that relationship. Uh, sometimes, a lot of times, when it's me and God and I don't, you know, I find the uncomfortable uh, easing up, uh, I see that there is a power that works and it doesn't have to be a human being. And I tend, my sponsor today is over and over again expresses the need to depend on God 
to grow the relationship with God. And that's what I do. I, I, I go first to God, and I write about it, and I pray about it, and I see if it eases. And if it eases, I feel like I've done what I needed. My higher power did it. If it still continues, I go to another person. But don't I'm not surprised where you are right now, Matt, that you still have challenges with the emotions. So, you know, I just, you know, I just keep working closely with God and get through those, you know, through the eight and nine as quickly as possible. On the other side, you'll see a difference. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Thank you for your question, Matt M. Miriam, you're next with your question. Hi, Miriam. Thank you so much. Hi, this is Miriam, and I am gratefully recovering a day at a time to the 12 steps. Um, thank you for your service, both of you. Um, my question is two-part. I, I really resonated with your talking about uh, occasionally you find yourself, like, eating the same thing over and over, and then you have to look at that. And I'm wondering, so it's a, it's a, a kind of difficult question for me to ask. I've noticed that sometimes certain foods, I'm looking forward to them a lot. And the question, the two-part question is, one, do you feel like you can still be spiritually centered and be really, and and look forward to certain foods? Or do you feel like if foods become important to you enough that you're actually looking forward to them, that you need to put them down? And if so, or for a period of time, and if so, how do you develop the willingness? I've been asking for a long time, a day at a time, but but these foods can be, you know, uh, I, I, I'm afraid they might be coming in the way of my relationship with God. So my question is, how do you develop the willingness to let them go if you need to, and how do you determine if the food needs to be let go just because you enjoy it? Oh, that's a good question. Um, are, have, you, uh, are you, uh, have you done the steps, the total steps? Uh, yes, I, I've been through this oh, okay. number of times. Oh. I was way down in the beginning. Well, you know, I'd I'd like to say I never never have a, a thought about certain foods. I remember it's funny how um, I know that I'm a true blood compulsive eater. Just you know, totally honestly, a true blood compulsive eater. And what I love about this program is everybody has a different story. You know, um, there are some general things that we basically all have in common as far as what we need to put down and all of that kind of stuff. But, you know, for the most part, I'm one of the believers in that it's an individual thing. Um, I have a whole big list. And if you want to know what it is, I hope no, don't call me. But (laughs) I have a whole big list of things that I can't have. I know they're binge foods. I do not touch them. Um, There are things that I didn't think they were a binge food, and since I let go of the other things, like I'll say nuts, my sponsor knows about nuts, I'll just bring up the deal about nuts. I never had a problem about a nut. You know, before, you know, I never had a problem with nuts. And then I found myself wanting a, a snack, you know, a healthy snack, being out somewhere, okay to have the snack, but I found myself always picking up the nuts. You know, okay, fine, all right. Then I found myself a pattern of nuts every day, a pattern of nuts, just like you're saying, I believe. And then I had the intuitive thought. I know today that I don't work this program by myself. I know there is a God, my higher power, that if they see not only with the food but behaviors, I get this little intuitive thought 
that kind of presents to me. How about looking at that debt? And so I, I struggled with not having the nut. This is recovered. And so what I did know, and I have a wonderful sponsor today, what I did know, my sponsor said, well, stop eating them. What? What? Stop eating them. And what I did know, when when I said that to her and she, you know, said something that simple, I brought that nut deal to God. I In my daily writings, I said, okay, God, you've talked to me, you pointed it out, you think it's not a good thing for me. You don't want me to be a slave to anything. I am offering this to you. I am giving this to you. If you want it removed, you're going to have to remove it. Do you know what? One day, I walked in where the nuts were. Didn't have to have a nut. Haven't had a nut since. I know that I can't have nuts. It shifted from not a problem to the list of no binge food. It's a binge food. So I hope that helped. Yes, thank you very okay. much. All right. I really believe that there's nothing wrong with liking to eat a food. I'm just, that's just me. Somebody else may not believe it. But I believe there's a line between liking a food, a certain food. I don't think we were, I don't think we were created not to enjoy food. But there's a line between enjoying it and it being, uh, being a slave to it. So that's that's the balance there. Okay. So, thanks. Thank you, Marion, for that question. Amy E, you're next with your question. Good morning, Hi. visionaries. Can you hear me? I can, yes. Amy. Good morning. Thank you. Um, good morning, everyone. Abstinent, grateful, and recovered. Amy E in rural Ohio. Debbie, thank you so much for your deep, you're deep sharing and your um, emotional honesty. You have some tough situations in your life, as many of us have, and um, I'm sure going back and doing a fourth-step inventory and looking at where you were at fault and where you set the ball rolling was difficult in some of those circumstances. Could you tell me how you worked with the sponsor on that, and um, what did you identify when you were doing those columns and Mm. looking at uh, some of those more... I know for me a big character for defect of mine is being a victim and feeling sorry for myself mm-hmm. and um, really love some insight into how you worked on that aspect of your um, fourth step inventory. Thank you. Okay, great, great. Now keeping in mind that a lot of the things I talked about this morning, I have had already done a, a fourth step on those years ago, but there were some things that um, I still had to uh, – go over that, you know, like my sponsor. What what we, what I did is I worked before I did the four step. I did the did the, you know, what you just said, went through the uh, format, you know, what was the problem, you know, what was the cause, you know, what um and uh, you know, what did it affect and all those kind of things. And so then my sponsor and I talked about it, you know. We talked about it, and so and after that, we turned the corner and we did that defect. That you know, what part did I play in it? Yes, yes. And so, um, wow! About that time when I was doing that, because keep in mind, I was all of my defects seemed to be just coming up. I was looking at myself from a whole different perspective. It was yucky. 
You know, I wanted to get done with this. You know, first of all, I was angry for bringing up some of the things she felt that I needed to bring up again. And so I I remember well, long time ago, when after, you know, in, in an OA meeting, and I talk about all these things that happened, and I got the sympathy of the group. It felt so darn good, you know. And so to share that kind of stuff, it felt so good that, you know, I, I found myself sharing it a lot. It made it easier to share. Well, after working on this, so much of this stuff, and getting, you know, mind you, it's years of working on this stuff, I remember this intuition, this higher power coming to me. And, you know, once I've done the work and God has taken the problem, and and healed me, I couldn't identify myself. And it happened this time. After I did the stuff, you know, and, and saw what I was doing and saw the defects, you know, then there was kind of a void there. Well, who am I after this? I'm not a victim anymore. Who is Debbie once all of this stuff has been taken away? You know what I'm saying? And I've admitted my part and, you know, I've seen, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And and you know what? After that, God starts adding things back. I start seeing myself, a new me developing. You know, I see me responding a different way. Now, don't mind, mind you, I have enough defects to last. And to, to work this program until I, I leave here. But there, so much of the stuff that I lived in, I identified myself as a person with the history that I just talked to you about. And I understood it because when I went through it, I never, you know, I never heard what happened to me as I was living it. I never heard the perspective that that I gave on this side of the the issues, the situations. But once I I got did the work of the steps, I had to become a different person, and God does that too. You know, it's not necessary for unless I'm sharing with someone and and it's helpful to them. My past, it's not necessary for me to bring up that stuff. You know, I'm 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 beginning to be an individual that you know doesn't live in the problem anymore. You know, I, I live in the recovered part of it. And I don't know if that helped or not, but I truly understand what you're saying because at some point I had to stop identifying myself as the person who went through what she did and, and God helped me through that. Does that help? Yes, it does. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. But you know what? That happens in God's timing. This whole process for me, and I'm a strong believer, happens in your higher power or God's timing. You know, so I don't, when I try to rush it or think I shouldn't respond and react this way, it's when I'm doing it. My biggest challenge is to get out of the way, let the program work, let the spirit happen to me. So thanks. Thank you, Amy E., for your question. Mary from Arizona, you're next with your question for Deb W. Hi, Mary. Hi, Hi this is uh, Mary from Arizona. Debbie, thank you so much for your share. I really appreciated it. Um, you're welcome. You, thank you. Uh, you know, I my question is, you mentioned that you work the steps on a daily basis, and I was wondering if you could just um, talk about that a bit and how you do that. Do you do writing with it or just is it the prayers that you mentioned? 
Um, yeah. I would just like to hear more about that. Well, I I was fortunate. My sponsor sent me a sheet that uh, work, goes through the steps. You know, um, I, it starts out saying, you know, what is the issue? What is the concern? And then there are questions, 12 of them, that um, address each step. And I, I answer it, you know, uh, you know, I'm powerless. The first one, I don't have the sheet in front of me. I'm powerless over, this is the concern. Where am I powerless? Um, what do I think uh, a power greater than me can add to helping me get out of this issue, you know, out of this situation? Um you know, the third step, uh, I'm trying to remember the question. But anyway, each each um, step, ha- each uh, question addresses the step, the, the, you know, the process to the 12th step. I have prayers that go with each one of those questions that aren't prayers I made up. They're, they're prayers that came out of the big book. And somebody formed a prayer or they're just straight out of the big book. That after each step, I say the prayer, you know. And, uh, you know, I write, say the prayer to God, and I write prayed because I want to make sure I prayed over this particular step. And that's what I do to go through the steps. Now, it it may not be necessary, but that's what I do, and it seems to work really well. Thank you, Mary, for the question. Mary Lee, you're next with your question for W. Mary Lee. Good morning, Mary Lee. Recovered in California, and Deb, oh, thank you for your experience, strength, and hope. You're welcome. The main questions I wanted to ask you have already been answered, so the hard question is now at the top. So I get to ask that. How did you make amends with your husband? Oh, wow. Wow, you would ask that one. (laughs) I want you to know um, that was that was a tough one. I've shared about that before. And I, um, my husband, um, like I said, was raging anger, you know. And, uh, you know, by the time I had two kids and came into marriage, I was grateful that someone, you know, cared enough about me. I, I really wasn't in for sure, you know, about how I cared. I was broken. I don't understood didn't understand love. I finally was able to say I'm committed to this person, and I care greatly about him. I'm not going anywhere. He did the rage and the anger thing for so long, and I remember um, I, I remember one day I said I can't do this any longer. Uh, he would, you know, go crazy over the smallest thing, you know, and just the person that was not the man I married would come out. And, uh, you know, I was afraid and my children were afraid. And I remember, you know, uh, thinking about going to a place called Divis, domestic violence uh, or something or another. And I remember going to the door and I was embarrassed to go inside because they had the big sign over the door, you know. I didn't see the reality of the situation I was in. And I was so loyal to the person who brought a paycheck home that, you know, I didn't, I felt like I would betray him for standing up and saying to act this way is not okay. My husband would, it'd be the dead of winter, he would turn the heat off if he got into this rage and anger. He would turn the air off if it was a hundred and something degrees. So he was acting in his own sickness. And so when he stopped, I was angry. I was angry. 
he didn't do it anymore. I became, I, I resented him. I guess it was safe to resent him at that time. And I was done, you know, but I wouldn't leave him. I wasn't, I wasn't merciful enough to just leave the man, you know. And so I held a resentment with him for 15 years, I know. You know, we did that with the kids around. They hated to come around, you know. I had these really nifty, sarcastic things that I could come up with in a second, you know. Uh, we separated bedrooms, you know. We were just mean to each other. And, you know, I knew I was right because he treated me this way. He was rage and anger. But I didn't know that I was blocking the connection with God. Because I saw the solution was him being sorry enough that I finally accepted. You know, him. he, he needed to go hang on the cross and be hung because that was the only way that I'd consider forgiving him. So one day, it was so weird, just before I started into Vision for You, there was a thought that came to me, and that was the part that I played. And I said, God, what do you mean? I don't play any part. Yes, I'm right, but I'm miserable again. This is miserable. My kids don't even want to come around. And so then it became, well, you know, I can't bless you fully, Deb, because of the way you treat him. So my connection with God was interrupting, and there, it dawned on me, I can't be close to God unless I can forgive him. God was asking, was bringing me forward about my behavior, and it was separate from his. The conversation wasn't about because my husband did this or that. It was what was I acting like. And so it, then the floodgate opened about my behavior. And it just, I was, I cried and wept thinking of the years that I had behaved the way that I had behaved. And I want you to know that after I was able to be open to God in that area, I was able to be open to him, and I was able to apologize for the way that I treated him. And I'm going to give you one better than that. He started being open to me because he was being defensive because of the way that I was treating him. That's the long and the short of it. And so we have a great relationship today. We're friends today. And so that's, that's it on that. I'm sure I talked to him on Thank you, Mary Lee, for your question. Does anyone else have a question this morning for Deb W? You just press star one on your phone keypad that unmutes you to be able um, to. I did. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yes, hi. Hi. Um, hi. Excuse me. Hi, I'm Rachel. Rachel. Hi, Rachel. Hi. Hi, Rachel S. And anybody else? Let's, let's see if we have anyone else before we just move on. Rachel, hang on just a second. Absolutely. Anyone Tara. else have a question this morning? Tara. Sarah. Oh, hi, Tara. Abby Good morning. Abby D. Yeah. Abby, Abby D. Like David. B is in boy. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you ask a question earlier? Abby B. I think I got a little bit mixed That's up there. The same person. Same person you want to ask another question. Is that true? Uh, Susan. I think I'm getting a little bit mixed up here. I hear Susan now. Hopefully I'm clear with Abby B. Anybody else? 
Okay, let's go with Rachel S. Then, thank you. Good morning, Rachel. Thank Your you, and thanks for. Good morning, Rachel. Good morning. Um, I really want to thank you for your story, the the one you just gave about your husband, because oh, you. um, last night it it's I, I had a sponsor that I hadn't, and I'm very new in this part of the program, that I was sending the ten step to each night and not getting any um, feedback or response, or and so I wrote because it was probably late. Um, I I don't understand. You know, you're not saying something or responding back. Um, and I I could have written, you know, is there something we could talk about? But what I wrote was, do you think I need to find a new sponsor? And I never expected to get back. Yes, you do. Hmm. And um, that was about at midnight last night. And I was... Um, even though I wrote that question, flat-footed, and and did write back, um, thank you for your honesty, but could Mm -hmm. you please share, um, you know, is it the schedule that you or I are keeping, or was there something, you know, amiss that I didn't know? Because I really don't know. And um, I dialed into a meeting and, and offered to qualify because I wanted that night for me to remember that I qualified not that that was the night she wrote back what she did and yours you know a marriage is not quite the same as a sponsor sponsee but um, you know I I will look at my part I you know I for me a whole week is Saturday Saturday is, is too long for me to go without hearing and that's me, especially if it's a new relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, you reminded me, and I got to say, I've been in program 25 years, and I forgot to just pray mm-hmm. for her mm-hmm. because I don't know what what precipitated. Uh, precip- <clears throat> it's my morning voice. Precipitated this um, response, and I may never know. But what Wait, I believe, in the interest of time, would you be able to form that into a question for Deb? Oh, oh good. Thank well, you. Guess what? I, yeah. kinda, I think I kind of get what you're saying. And so I hope this answers it, but if it doesn't, you can give me a call on, uh, cool. later. But you know what? I, I, um, one thing that I, I hear from what you're saying, and I had to learn and have to learn, I have to learn this, is it, it on page ninety eight of the big book it says sponsor or no sponsor job or no right. job whatever you know the rest of that I have to know that you know without a sponsor I could work this program with a sponsor I yes I need a sponsor yes it is helpful but the biggest most important thing is I have to learn to depend on God I have to. And that is a lifelong thing, but if I look at it like I want to get out of this food, I am going to get work this program. You know, people disappoint us. I disappoint people. You know, this program, you know, it's helpful to have someone to guide us through. But I am a compulsive eater, and when I came into Vision, I was eating until I threw up. 
on a regular basis. I was, you know, I ate until I went into a, a, a sleeping stupor, I think it was, at night. So I have to get help whether somebody hangs up on me or not. I have to keep hunting for this, you know, and God will come to me. So it's my suggestion to you is to ask for help. Ask for help uh, from God to give me some direction, you know, because people do disappoint us and we disappoint them. And so my program cannot be based on another person's actions. And I hope that helped a little bit. Thank you, Rachel S., for that. Tara, you're next with your question. Hi, thanks for waiting for me to unmute. Hi, Tara. Um, Hi, my amends is about um, repeating. I mean, my question is about um, amends that you are, you know, like with people that you live with. And, you know, it's an ongoing process, I, I, I think, or that's what's happening. But... Um, do you make amends, um, apologies, or just, you know, what do you do when you are working, you know, God is removing it, and you get my question? Yeah, I get your question. And, you know, the thing about it, I think I get your question. The thing about it is the people I live with, they've seen my behaviors for so, so many years. And, you know, I've apologized before to them. So, I, you know, it may, it may be that they don't believe me anyway. Another thing about the people I live is they um, tend to make excuses for my behaviors. It's just mama. She just acts that way, you know. But when I'm doing my, um, my steps, God doesn't get let me off. Uh, that easy you know when I have a behavior that sucks it comes to mind these things come up they surface they come to mind and so with my my immediate family I can yes I do I try to make an amends to them do they always accept it do they always believe it possibly not probably not but I try to also do a living amends I try to act differently but you know I think that immediate family it's hard they already have a I think they've already um, made decisions about me in their mind I've been in and out of recovery programs forever you know so you know they see me they may ask oh what are you doing this week (laughs) so you know it's it's but the, the thing that is important is I have come to God I have attempted to do the program as it is written and the outcome I have to give to God. You know, I I have to go back and exercise and practice the same thing, whether it seems that anybody believes me or not. And so that's that's all I have to say about that. Thank you, Tara, for your Mm -hmm. question this morning. And Susan, you're next. Press star one to unmute. Susan, we can't hear you. Is there oh, something you can do to adjust your line there? Yeah, let me do it. Better? Try speaking again. It's it's not quite clear yet. Is this better? 
Oh, yes, there you go. That's what we're looking for. Hi, good morning. Okay. Your questions are good Deb. morning. Yeah. Good morning. Um, good morning, Deb. Thank you so much uh, for your share. I, um, I wanted to ask, um, I just called up to try to get a sponsor, and um, a man sponsor said that he would be my sponsor, <clears throat> but I'm not sure if I feel that comfortable with having uh, a male as a sponsor. Justin, for me, he sounds like he has great program. Uh, what would you say about that? Listen, I really don't know. I've never had that experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just that um, I'm not sure if I feel that comfortable with that, you know. And um, I feel bad, like, you know, because he said he would be my sponsor, but um, what I'm not sure. Do, what you might do is tomorrow or on one of the regular meetings, there's a question and answer time after the regular meeting, and you might mm-hmm. put that out there as a question and you might get uh, input, but I don't have that experience. Thank you so much, Susan, for your question and, and Deb W for your response there. Is there anyone else that has a question for Deb W this morning before we call this wonderful meeting to a close? Jan G. I had asked about a question, Abby B., but if, if I have a second, maybe I shouldn't. Oh, no, you're fine. I just wanted to, to make sure that you were the same person and that there was anybody else that didn't uh, have a question yeah. first so we could do yeah. that first, and then we can wrap up with okay. you, Abby. Thanks so much. Yeah. Jan, go ahead. Hi. Jan G. Hi, Good morning. Jan G. Go ahead. Good morning. Yes. This is Abby B., Grateful Compulsive Eater. The question has to do with being Abby, in a just, Abby, just, Abby, just one moment, please. Can, we're going to try to hear from Jan G. first. Oh, I couldn't hear. Sorry. <laughs> Hi, thank this you. is thank Jan G. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Okay. I just want to thank you so much for your share. You touched me in you such won't. a way I can't even tell you. And um, I think the thing that you brought up is like, you know, the perpetual victim. One question that I wanted to ask you is, uh, how is your relationship with your mom now, and did you make amends to her? And Because that seems like the most difficult relationship to mm-hmm. uh, come to grips with, from what mm-hmm. I've heard and from my experience. That, yes, it was. It, it was a very difficult uh, rela- uh, thing to come. I actually spent about... 10 to 12 years, along with other issues in, in counseling uh, with about that. I had expectations of what I wanted a mother to be. My mother was not that person that I wanted her to be. My mother was who she was, you know. And, you know, today, you know, I think about how naive I was, you know, even in recovery, I remember when I was in recovery working the steps and realizing things uh, that, you know, I blamed myself for, they weren't so, and going back and approaching her about it. And, of course, she came up in a different era. She didn't understand what I was doing, and she wasn't really accepting it. She just kind of ignored it, and it would make me even angrier. Um, What happened is after a while, I started noticing that I was able to stop putting those expectations on her. I remember I would wake up, you know, maybe the day before Christmas, Christmas Eve, and I I think, well, let me call mom. Maybe we can go shopping, and maybe we can we can have you know dinner, and we can have this and that, and 
I'll put in my head in just a few minutes, make the call, and she says no. You know. And so there was disappointment because I assumed that, you know, she wanted to do what I wanted her to do. I wanted something from her she didn't have to give. My mom was great. She showed love by keeping us clean, by keeping food on the table, by trying to get us kids in different activities. But as far as hugging, holding, she didn't do that. She never could do that. What happened as time went by, I stopped having the expectations. I stopped looking for a mother that I felt like I should have had, you know. As we went on, we got closer as I went on. And, you know, I remember my mom making a blanket uh, apology for, never said what it was for, but I, I gathered it was for some of the things years later that happened when we were younger. Um I also was blessed by God that my mother had Alzheimer's. I was angry. In one sense, I was angry because when I did get to the point that, you know, I really wanted an answer, her mind left. So she either left or she got to hide behind the Alzheimer's or whatever. And so uh, later, though, not, not like a couple of maybe three years ago, uh, after my brother took care of my mother for years, she came to me. I was the only daughter. Things started happening that I needed as as a woman to be uh, closer to my mom. God blessed me with a year with my mother. I got her mind was gone a lot, but she she would be lucid every once in a while, and I got to hug her. I got to hold her. I got to lotion her. I got to bathe her. I got to end this life with her. I was able to take her all the way to death. You know, she actually came to my house after, you know, she fell, she hit her head. They did what they did at the hospital. They couldn't operate. We brought her home. She lived a, a, a week. I never, God gave me the power to be there for her until she passed. So the healing happened in me. Over a series of years, and I was I was blessed with being able to show her love, hold her face, feel her skin. I can remember that today. So that's how it ended with my mother. Yes, it did end positive. Thank you. Thank you, Jan G, for your question too. And I just wanted to let folks know that at the close of the meeting, Deb W will be offering her contact information so that anyone that might have further questions or something this morning, you can call her. Um, or contact her personally, too. Um, Abby, B, did you still have your question you wanted to ask about relationships? I'll call after the meeting. Thanks. Oh, okay. Okay, great. I don't Thank want you. to take up. Um, it has to do with uh, being with people who also have programs as well. Okay. But I think I'll call. It's sort of an outside issue. I'll Maybe call. a longer question. Okay, great. Thank you. Yeah, Thank I'll you. call that's it another time. Thanks. Bye. And that's why I kind of brought that up. Maybe it was an additional kind of thing we, we wanted to ask or share, too, and, and just to tell everybody that. And just one more quick ask um, before we close here. Does anyone else have a question? Well, there are wonderful questions, and thank you so much for fielding those this morning, Deb. It looks like we are at the end this morning. Great. And, uh, yeah, thank you so much. And we will close this meeting like we do all of our special edition Sunday meetings. Uh, uh, with the 
part on the big book of 164 that we always close with, um, which says, our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We will be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.